Um, please do get the Bibles, which are on the end of your rows. If you're the person on the end, please do pass them down and turn to Proverbs 16. Uh, if you get to Job, turn right a bit. If you get to the Psalms, keep going. Proverbs 16, it's page uh, 651. And I'm just going to read a few verses. Uh, four verses and then another verse from the uh, chapter 16 of the book of Proverbs. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked, for a day of disaster. And then we go down to verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. Why don't we pray together? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak, and I pray now that as I speak, God, that you would speak. Give us open hearts, open ears that are ready to hear what you are saying. God, bring us your challenge and bring us your comfort and make us more like Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we've just come from that bit between Christmas and New Year, where if you're anything like me, the hardest decision I had to make was, do I have wine and cheese now? Or later. Or both, because that was a perfectly acceptable option. But we come to the start of a year where actually a lot of us will be thinking ahead to what's to come. A lot of us will be thinking about a kind of season change. You'll be thinking about commitments you want to make. Uh, Maybe you've got some good plans for this year. But often it's a time for us going, how will I know what to do with my life? How will I know what God wants me to do with my life? How can I know God's will for my life? It's a good question. That's what we're going to be asking tonight. And as soon as we talk about God's will, of course, that brings up that excellent slash terrible chatter line. Feel free to use this. You know, introduce yourself to someone that you're interested in. Hi, my name's Will. God's will for your life. No, don't use that. That's terrible. And don't laugh at it. You're better than this. Come on, people. Come on. But the vital question is, and this is what we're going to explore tonight as we consider these Proverbs, is how can I know what decisions to make? How can I follow what God wants? How can I get his guidance? How can I know God's will for my life? And as I was planning this sermon, the question I was, or the thing I was originally going to explore is, does God have a plan for my life? And that's also an important question. But what I found is, as I spoke to people, as I spoke to my friends, um, actually, I think we understand that God has plans and purposes for us. But the challenge seems to be, how do we work out what they are? We know that we're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We know that it was God's pleasure and will to adopt us to sonship. We know that it is God's will, this is from Thessalonians, for us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. A quick aside, if you're wondering what to do at the start of this year, rejoice, give thanks, pray. That is God's will for your life. But there still remains the bigger question. With the big decisions we have to make, how does God's will and our will and God's plan and our plans, how do they interact? What are we to do? How do we know what job to take? How do we know what career to be in? How do we know who to marry? How do we know who to date? How do we know who to confide in? How do we know where to live? Do we stay in London? And as we face all these big questions, we want to seek God's will, but how do we find it? That's what we're going to explore tonight. We're going to do two things as we do that. The first thing we're going to do together is explore the relationship between our plans and God's plans. Not as we might be tempted to understand it, but as the Bible shows it. And then secondly, we're going to ask, based on that, 
how can we get the guidance of God? So that's where we're going. Let's do that first thing then. What is the relationship between our plans and God's plans? How does that work? Well, you can read with me the first verse of this proverb. Verse 16. Sorry, chapter 16. To humans belong the plans of the heart. To humans belong the plans of the heart. We see here, we are responsible for our plans. Our plans belong to us. God doesn't force us in any direction. If we make unwise or destructive plans, there'll be consequences because we are responsible for what we choose to do. If we do stupid things or immoral things or selfish things, we'll be held accountable by other people and by God. Our plans belong to us. We see this again in verse 9. You can read with me. In their hearts, humans plan their course. We plan what we want to do with our lives. The Bible affirms it here and elsewhere that we have genuine responsibility and free will. We can choose what we want to do. Your choices are yours. Your plans are yours. You are responsible for them. I am responsible for them. We have free will. But we also see this. Read with me again, verse 1. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. Interesting. So we can begin to see that actually our plans and God's plans are related somehow. Well, it develops. We see it more. Verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. What is this saying? Though we are free and we are responsible to choose our own plan, to make our own plans, through our free choices, God works out everything as he intends it. God works out his plan through our plans. But that's not to say that what God plans is a moving target that changes based on what we plan to do. It's actually that somehow through our free choices, God sovereignly works exactly what he wants. In the older, transla- uh, older version of this NIV translation we're reading, when we read verse 4, it will say this, that the Lord works out everything for his own ends. Can you see this? Read with me verse 4. The Lord works out everything to its proper end even the wicked for a day of disaster. There is nothing that happens in our lives, in this world, that is not under the sovereign rule of God. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, to his own ends, even though we are free and responsible to make our plans and to make choices. Now, I wonder if we struggle with this idea. Because don't we tend to think that either we have free will or we don't. Either we are free and responsible, or we're fated and determined, and there's nothing we can do about it. This is an idea we see in movies, we see it in popular culture. This week I happened to watch the film Minority Report, and it's from Tom Cruise, it's about the 2000s. And spoilers ahead, but what happens in this film is a prophecy gets given over this, over Tom Cruise, he's a, uh, a policeman, and basically the, the prophecy is that he is going to kill a man he doesn't know. And throughout the film, what you see is that despite all the choices he makes, everything he does for that not to happen, he ends up killing the man. Because that was his fate. That was what was going to happen. And that's one way we see life. Totally determined. There's nothing you can do. There's one destination. There's one destiny. And despite your choices, you'll end up there. So that's one way of seeing it. The other way of seeing it, I think, is more common. 
Um, and it's uh, shown ex explicitly and really well by Doc Brown in Back to the Future. Uh, and he says the, that icon of culture. Uh, he says at the end of the third film, your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. And I think most of us and our culture goes, oh, that's what I want to hear. The future isn't uh, set. It is open. I can make it a good one. I have choices. I have free will. We like that because it feels like freedom. So can you see those two perspectives? Either we're totally fated, totally determined, or we're totally free. But actually, the Bible shows us that it's both. In fact, we're both 100% free and somehow 100% determined. You see, even though that might seem like a logical contradiction, this is actually incredibly practical. Let me show you how. You see, if we believe that we are either free or we're fixed in that binary way, it's actually a recipe for disaster. Take the idea that we are totally fixed, that there is nothing we can do despite our choices. It's actually a way to live with total apathy, to be totally passive. If you believe that nothing you do matters to what will eventually happen in your life, you'll be cynical, you'll be hard-hearted, you'll give up. Why bother? Why do anything? Why bother making wise choices? Why bother trying to grow to be like Jesus, to make good decisions? Because it's all going to happen the way it happens anyway. There's nothing I can do about it. So that's one way. You'll be totally passive. But what happens if you think that the future is totally open and you are in total control of your destiny? Well, can I suggest you might be overcome? You'll be paralyzed by fear, anxiety. That is a way to live in anxiety. Because what if you make the wrong decision? Because if it all depends on you, then you might get it wrong. What if, you, what if you choose the wrong person to marry? What if you choose the wrong job? What if you choose the wrong house to live in? All these decisions, you might get it wrong. And so we are over, you can be overcome by anxiety and by fear. You can be paralyzed by that. But see, the Bible says this. In fact, this, these verses we look at says this. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. We're both free, and in our freedom, God works out his plan. And that means this. You are responsible for what you do. So make every effort, work with every fiber of your being to make good decisions. As you go to work, as you go to work with your flatmates, with your family, in every sphere of your life, make good decisions. Ask God for help. Follow. Walk in step with the Spirit. You have a responsibility to do. Don't be passive. But at the same time, be at peace because God is in control. God is sovereign. God works everything out as he plans it. It is, does not ultimately rest on you. So even though we might not be able to hold together intellectually the fact that we are somehow free and determined, actually it's so practical because it means we're responsible we can be at peace. Not paralyzed, not passive, but at peace. God works through every decision and every circumstance in our lives. Now, we might have a second objection to this, though, because if I say you're in the hands of God and nothing can shake that, which is true, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that, that can be done to change that. We sang earlier, you're never going to let me down. That's 100% true because in Jesus Christ, he is totally faithful. Once you've given your life to him, nothing can separate you. Nothing can come between you and God, even if it might feel like it. But the truth is, um, we see this in verse 4. 
The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. So even bad things are eventually worked out by God. Ah, well, does that mean that God is the author of bad things? If God works out everything, is he, how, is he somehow responsible for suffering and pain? Well, that's what might, you might be tempted to think if you hadn't just done the work before in verses 1 and 9. You see, because we are free to make choices. Therefore, it says, the evil, uh, we see, because our plans belong to us, because what we do, we are responsible for. Evil deeds belong to the evil doer. God doesn't force people to do evil things, bad things. He did, God doesn't force or have his hand in injustice. We are responsible for that. Humanity is responsible for that. And yet, God can overrule and work and weave his, even the worst things in the end into exactly what he wants. The ultimate example of this, I think biblically, is the story of Joseph. Do you remember the story of Joseph? This is the Joseph of the Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. And his family was going to pot. His family was being ruined by his father because his father was showing favoritism to Jacob. And this was turning him into an arrogant little so-and-so. And his brothers into, they had such murderous hatred and jealousy in their hearts. And so what they do is they sling their brother into a pit and they sell him to slavery. And uh, Joseph cries out to God and says, Lord, where are you? No answer. And so he's a slave in Egypt. And then in Egypt, guess what happens? He gets accused of rape and he gets thrown into another dark place. He gets thrown into a dungeon and he cries out to God. Seemingly, no answer. And again and again, you look at his life. Injustice, accusations, jealousy, slander, bad circumstances. But what we see is that years and years later, it becomes obvious that through all these bad things, Joseph has become a man of greatness. His brothers and their family have been completely restored, psychologically healed. And actually, because even through all the bad things, their family and even a whole nation avoids starvation. And so Joseph says this really famous line. He says this. He says it to his brothers. It's his famous summary of everything that happens. And he says this. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's why Proverbs will say that the Lord works out everything to its proper end. That's why there is that incredible verse in Romans 8, which says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, good and bad, high and low, God is at work. So never, ever, ever, ever think that God is not working. As you enter 2019, as you consider choices that you have to make, as you consider circumstances in your life, never, ever, ever, ever think that God is not at work. God works together all things for our good and for his glory. Now, that doesn't mean we're always going to see a reason for everything. That doesn't mean we say to God, Lord, you've got until Saturday to show me exactly why this situation is happening. No, instead, we say to God, I trust you that in all things, you're working them for good. So that's the relationship between our plans and God's plans. We are totally free, we are responsible, and yet God is at work, sovereignly working all things together. Okay, but how do we know the guidance of God? How can we discern his will? Well, if you've ever done the Alpha course, 
or read Bible in a year, there's this really helpful summary of how God guides. And they're based around five CSs. And we'll read them out. They'll come up on the slide behind me. There's five of them. There's commanding scripture, that is the Bible. Compelling spirit, as in the Holy Spirit. Council of the saints, which is a very fancy way of saying the church, you and I. Common sense, God-given reason. Circumstantial signs, providence, circumstances, things that happen. I think that's a really helpful list. I think that really helpfully summarizes the way that God guides. Now, they all, we know those from Scripture. That's the main way that God speaks and guides, by the Spirit, through Scripture. However, so I can give you these, and you might think about your life, okay, well, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I've read this Bible verse here, and a friend said this to me, and this situation has happened. But how do I know that it's the leading of the Lord? I think that question still remains, even if we have a helpful framework like this. These verses today have something to say to this. Read with me verse 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Now, this is a verse with layers. And the simplest reading of this would seem to be, commit to God what you're going to do, and it will be successful. Commit your plans to the Lord, and then your deeds will succeed. Commit your plans to the Lord. So, oh Lord, bless my plan, and then it gets blessed. But actually, if you read it carefully, you'll realize it's not saying that. It's the other way around. It doesn't say commit to God your plans, and then your deeds will succeed. It says commit to God whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. And it says this. It means this. Commit to God your whole life. And slowly, you'll become the kind of person that makes wise plans because the Lord begins to establish his plans in your life. Why do we need that? Well, in verse 2, we see this. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Our motives are not pure. In fact, we live lives where we don't just need uh, to know the guidance of God. Actually, we need our motivations to be changed sometimes, don't we? Because we have selfish desires and we have desires that aren't actually in line with his will. But as God begins to change us, we see this. Um, Proverbs 11.3 will say, The integrity of the upright guides them. The integrity of the upright guides them. Now, wouldn't it be better to say that God guides honest people? Well, it might. And I think that is true. But actually this says that a person's integrity guides them. So their character, their nature, that guides them. What this shows us is that God doesn't simply say, here's how you get my guidance. Actually, God shows us that how to become the kind of people that get the guidance of God. How to grow in wisdom. How to be the kind of person that makes wise choices. See, verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. And in older translations, it says he will establish your thoughts. In committing, to God, you grow. in committing to God, you grow because we have the mind of Christ. He gives us a new heart and a new spirit, not one led by the nature of this world, but by his nature. So our thoughts get established in him, his way of seeing, his way of thinking through righteousness. You see, God wants us to grow in him. He's a good father. He wants us to grow in him to become more like Jesus. He wants us to grow up. In fact, we can see parallels, I think, with this with earthly fathers. Jago, how old is your youngest son? Three. 
Theo is three. Theo is very cute. And he looks just like his dad, which is a miracle, really. Uh, he looks very cute. Now, imagine if Jago, uh, Theo came to his daddy, Jago, and he said, Daddy, it's five o'clock in the evening. Say, Daddy, can I go out and play? And Jago might say, well, look, in 50 minutes, we're having supper. We're having dinner. So, yes, you can go into the garden, but don't go too far. It's dark. Maybe your sister should go with you. We'll call you when you need to come back. But now let's fast forward 17 years, and Theo is now at university. And at five o'clock in the evening, he calls up his dad and says, Dad, can I go out to play? Um, some of the lads are going to go play frisbee, and then we're going to go to the pub. Is that okay? And Jago might say, what do you mean? You're an idiot. You need to make the choice yourself. I can't do that for you. There are some parents, of course, who need, need their kids to be that emotionally dependent on them. But not God. He wants us to be like him, full of wisdom, mature, able to make decisions on our own. And this means sometimes as you think about situations in your life, you'll just have to make a decision as you think about what to do. Tim Keller talks about this. Well, there's two pastors I can give examples of. Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York. He's very wise. And he says, people come to me and they say, I've got decisions to make. I need to know God's will for my life. And he says to them, make a decision. And they say, how spiritual. I thought you were a pastor. Look, I'm here for the will of God. And he says, make a decision. And another pastor, and I'm quoting both of them because there's some such opposite ends of the church. Bill Johnson leads Bethel Church in Redding, California. And he says, people come to me and they say, what should I do with my life? Shall I be a teacher or shall I be a missionary? I need to know the will of God. And he says, pick one. And then heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the leper, freely receive, freely give. And they go, no, 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 but should I be a teacher or should I be a missionary? And he says, pick one. And isn't that, that's not what we want to hear, is it? We don't want to hear sometimes just make a decision. Actually, often what we want to hear as we consider our life is we want specifics, we want timing, we want, okay, Lord, I give my life to you. Right, now tell me what it is you want me to do. And sometimes the Lord will say, it's your choice. As I considered where to train, as I trained to be a vicar, the sense I had was that I could go wherever actually I wanted it ended up between being between a college in Bristol called Trinity College and St. Melitus. And on such a spiritual seemingly thing, you might think that the Lord would speak in a loud voice. But he didn't. Actually, the choice seemed to be mine. It just seemed to be a chance for me to exercise wisdom. And, you know, we end up using the word calling. And that is an important word. God does call people. But it can get a bit hairy, can't it? Because some of us here will be like, actually, I don't feel like I have a calling from God. I'm just trying to live my life for him. But see, we're all, whether we feel like we're called to something very specific or actually we're just called to live for God, we are all called to commit our lives to him and to become the kind of people that can make wise decisions because we've grown in the Lord, because he begins to establish his plans in us, because our desires become like his, our thoughts become like his. And so actually, sometimes, even though we don't know God's guidance seemingly, we trust him. We trust that we're free, but we trust that he is at work in everything. So we make a decision. How do we get it, though? How do we get to that place? Well, verse 3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. How do you find guidance? How do you make wise decisions? 
Take every part of your life and give it to the Lord. Take every small decision, take every big decision, take every sphere of your life. Don't split it up into spiritual and non-spiritual. Don't split it up into religious and non-religious. Take every part of your life and give it to the Lord. Commit everything you do to him. It would be amazing if we did that tonight at the start of this year. Commit your whole life to God. And then God says, I'll begin to establish my plans in your life. Now, I don't mean two things when I say that. I don't mean, as I say, commit your whole life to God, that we sort of buy God's guidance. As in, when you come to God and say, look, God, I've been really holy this week. You know, could you do, fulfill your end of the bargain? That'd be great. You know, because we spend a lot of our time, don't we, coming before God. You know that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness? We spend a lot of time coming before the Lord going, Great is my faithfulness. Well, actually, it's God who's faithful. So what I'm not talking about here is that we purchase God's guidance somehow. And secondly, um, when I say commit your whole life, I don't mean that we suddenly become uber-spiritual about every decision. Should I, how should I commute to work this morning? Should I cycle or should I get the tube? Well, I'd better go through the five CSs. What does Scripture say? Well, Noah took a boat. That seems a bit impractical to build one. No, that doesn't work. Okay, counsel the saints. Better call Tim. He preached on this. Six o'clock in the morning. If any of you call me at six o'clock in the morning, I will not be held responsible for my actions, okay? It's not that suddenly we go, Lord, in everything, what should I eat? Of course, because we're free. We've been given wisdom, and we're to grow in wisdom. It's what we do is we give everything to God. An author, Elizabeth Elliot put it so well. She wrote about the guidance of God a while ago, and she said this. It'll come up behind me. She said, the more we pay for advice, the more we're likely to listen to it. Advice from a friend, which is free, we may take or leave. Advice from a consultant we have paid much for personally, we're more likely to accept, but it's still our choice. We can take it or leave it. But the guidance of God is different. First of all, we do not come to God asking for advice but for God's will. And that is not optional. And God's fear is the highest one of all. It costs everything. To ask for the guidance of God requires abandonment. We no longer say, if I trust you, you'll give me such and such. Instead, we must say, I trust you. Give me or withhold from me whatever you want. John Newton said, what you will when you will, how you will. Finding God's will is coming to God and not saying, if I trust you, you'll do such and such, but it's coming to him and saying, God, your will totally in my life. Whatever you want, God. Whatever you want to give me, whatever you want to withhold from me. Lord, your will be done. Because isn't that the way of Jesus? As Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees before the Lord, He didn't stop to think, do I have peace about this decision? Because guess what? Had he done that, he wouldn't have gone through with it. Instead, he got on his knees before the Lord and he said, thy will be done, not mine. And friends, we must do the same thing. We must do the same thing with every decision we have, with our whole lives. God, your will be done. Your glory, not my glory. Your fame, not my fame. Your success, not my success. God, your will be done and not mine. And what God promises to do is we commit everything to him. God promises to establish his plans in our lives. So this year, as you're looking to, for the plans of God, for the will of God, for the guidance of God, commit yourself wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly to him 
Trust that in every situation he is at work. But trust that he has given you freedom and now you're to grow in wisdom. Commit yourself to the Lord. Why don't we pray together? Lord, you know the situations of our lives. You know the decisions we have to make. You know what is to come. And Lord, I pray you would help us trust you. God, in every situation, I pray you would help us trust you. Even if we can't see the whole thing, we trust that you can. Lord, I especially pray for those of us tonight who are struggling to trust you. Lord, for those of us who have been in pain and brokenness, Lord, tonight we declare your goodness again, that you are good, that you are good in every circumstance and situation. And Lord, as a response to who you are and what you've done, I pray that you would help us give our whole lives to you, to commit everything we do to you, God. And we ask that in us and through this church, your plans would be established. Amen.